Please stay standing with me as we read today's scripture, uh, which today comes from Psalm 124. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side when people rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us up alive. Her anger was kindled against us. Then the flood would have swept us away. The torrent would have gone over us. Then over us would have gone the raging waters. Blessed be the Lord, who has not given us as prey to their teeth. We have escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken, and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord, who made heaven and earth. This is God's word. You can have a seat. So if you're just joining us, we've recently started a new uh, Sunday series called Songs to Carry On. Uh, if you've ever driven before on a long road trip, you know just how important having good music is for that road trip, specifically an album or a playlist with great travel songs that helps you and everyone around you sort of carry on with your journey. That's why we're spending this summer going through these Psalms of Ascent, which are these sung prayers that were designed to help people going through transition to carry on with their lives. These Psalms were compiled as Israel's best of playlist uh, for a journey that would be taken three times a year up to Jerusalem. So as you and I navigate these transitions, a simple transition uh, uh, maybe just the summer season, right, where we have a little bit more flexibility in our schedule, we're outdoors a little more, we see our neighbors a little more, regular transitions like a new job, uh, a new relationship, a new home, multi-level transition of life post-pandemic where we have all these new rhythms and erupted rhythms we don't have anymore, or just this transition called living <laughs> this side of the grave. These psalms are meant to help us carry on with God, with one another, and even with ourselves. So when you go on a road trip, sometimes you'll come across a specific song you're singing on that playlist that will remind you of a specific event or, or a time or season in your life. So when our newly minted high school grad Mason hears the song, Somewhere Only We Know by the band Keen, uh, he often thinks of this season of a few months of our lives we got to spend at this wonderful beach in South Carolina. So as we sing it or after we hear it, we often start to, to reflect upon that time in our lives and some memories we have from that time in our lives. So also when God's people would, would sing on the way up to Jerusalem, the Psalms of Ascent, when they would sing Psalm 124 on the way up to Jerusalem, they were reflecting upon this time. They were in a lot of trouble. And they wouldn't have made it if it wasn't for God's help, if he didn't come through for them as their help. So this week's psalm is a psalm of reflection. The psalm points to uh, a reason for reflection, an obstacle to reflection. And finally, I'm going to suggest a tool for reflection because it's really important for seeing God's help in our lives. So first, we're going to talk about a reason for reflection and that reason is this, that reflection guards us from allegiance to, to counterfeit saviors. It guards us from allegiance to counterfeit saviors because we tend to credit close but not quite saviors, the wrong savior, when we fail to genuinely reflect on our lives. So an interesting aspect of this psalm is we don't know the occasion for it. 
We don't know the occasion for the psalmist's reflection. We can tell from, and you could probably tell as well, it's some sort of military battle, right? We see that in verse 2, when, when these people rose up against us. And each of the commentators I read suggested a different battle that God's people fought in the Old Testament. But in the end, each of these psalmists sort of, or the commentators sort of throw up their hands and say, hey, we don't know what the psalmist is talking about ultimately. So what I did is I combed through the Old Testament to look at all the battles, all the battles in the Old Testament, for all, all the means by which God saved his people through, through battles. 80% of the time, God saves his people through what I would call, you and I might call, typical means. That would be he is with them as they use weapons and smart tactics to fight as hard as they can. Right? He is with them as they use their weapons, use the tactics that the generals have put together, and they fight as hard as they can. However, every so often, God would make it over the top obvious that he is the one who deserves all the credit for helping them in this battle. So once he saved his people by making the sun stand still in the sky so they could keep winning the battle in daylight. Another time prior to battle, God reduced an army of 32,000 to 300 because he said 32,000 is too much. I want to, to get all the credit. I want to show you that it's me who helps you. So I can, I, I can do this with just 300 people. Another time he, he builds an uber strong human with like alien strength to win a battle. Still another time, he strikes down 185,000 enemies overnight while they were still in their camp before dawn. Now, what will people think as they reflect back on all those victories? So the, the key for all reflection, for them, for us, lies in the first five words of this psalm. If it had not been, you read that? If it had not been, they could have said, if it had, if there's, most of the time, the 80% of the time, if it, had, if it had been easy for them to say, if it had not been for our weapons, our tactics, if it had not been for our training, for our bravery, we would have lost. Right? They could have said that. Even in those rare over-the-top, it's obvious it's God occasions, they still could have reflected back, hey, if it had not been for that meteorological accident in the sky, it would have gotten too dark, and we definitely would have lost. If it had not been for the courage of us 300, right? I mean, Sparta once won with 300 people famously, right? We would have failed. If it had not been for the genetic makeup and exercise regimen of that guy, Samson, right? We would have been goners. If it had not been for the freakish virus that passed through 185,000 of our enemies in the camp one night, we surely would have been wiped out. So sometimes when we reflect back, we, we credit these counterfeit saviors. Thankfully, instead, God's people repeatedly reflected back upon these stories of God's help to the point where it made it in this Bible right here. It got written down and put in here. That's how many times they would orally reflect around a campfire kind of thing. That's what God's people, they were oral people, oral history, and they reflected back on it so much it got written down here in the Bible. So let's take a moment. You and I reflect on times we barely escape trouble. Think about that for yourself. You might be tempted to say, you and I might be tempted to say, if it had not been for my money, right, the safe neighborhood I get to live in, the good school district for my kids, we'd be in trouble. 
If it had not been for my education and intellect, we, we never navigated out of that mess, right? If it had not been for my social network or my friendships, I would never have survived that battle. If it had not been for my personal righteousness, my, my, my morality, I would have fallen into disgrace, temptation. If it had not been for my politics or, or my government, I would be completely gone. I remember 14 years ago, Katie and I felt called, my wife Katie and I felt called to take a risk, to step down from our current church and help plant a church overseas. The problem was, it was 2009. You guys remember that year, 2009? We were all, if you remember, in a horrible recession and housing crisis at that time. And we were trying to move to go plant this church, but we couldn't sell our home. We moved anyway, and then months and months went by. We had this horrible debt and burden over us. Nothing would happen until it was 2009, so it was was President Obama. He issued a one-time credit for all first-time home buyers. And this may have passed you by, but it didn't pass us by because we had not gotten any offers up to that point. When he issued that that one-time credit for first-time home buyers, guess what? We got one offer, and it was from a first-time home buyer. And I often share that story with others as my one personal example where politics significantly impacted my life, right? Because oftentimes it doesn't really impact us directly, it does this time. So I would share that story. But really, friends, it's half true because it leads out the broader perspective of what Jesus' brother James once shared. He says, do not be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. I think that's interesting. He says first there, don't be deceived. And it's so easy to be deceived, right? To just, to just give credit to the thing we obviously see or the thing closest to us, right? Notice all the examples I mentioned, the money, the education, social network, friendships, personal righteousness, morality, all these things are good things, but God is the author of them all. He is the source of them all, right? Without proper reflection, we tend to discredit the closest thing, the most obvious thing, but usually it's a counterfeit savior. How many of you guys enjoy shows about food and cooking? Anyone here enjoy shows about food and cooking? Personally, I enjoy food without the cooking. Or say it just works better for me. <laughs> Turns out, though, it's really expensive to live that kind of lifestyle. So it's kind of interesting, uh, on Netflix's show, The, the Final Table, they had this guest judge, judge on one time, uh, Chef uh, Andoni Luis uh, Aduriz, who, whose restaurant, uh, Mugaritz, is consistently ranked, Mugaritz is, in the top five restaurants in the world. One of the top five restaurants in the world. Okay, well, by all these different metrics and things. So he was sharing how they, how they close their restaurant four months every year. A third of the year, they close their restaurants in order to stop and reflect. This was fascinating. He said, he said, if we don't stop and reflect, we often misplace the credit of what's working. We often credit the wrong thing. So he gave this one example of a, a, a line of culinary blends that all of a sudden started selling really well and doing really well, and immediately... They thought it was a slight change to their ingredients or, or an adjustment to the, to the chef's preparation. 
But because everyone participated in these four months of reflection, they realized from the wait staff, it was actually because they, they removed the line from their specials and they placed it at the top of their menu. It was simply because the food got more exposure than it did really well, but they wouldn't have noticed that. They wouldn't have noticed that if they didn't stop and reflect back on who deserves the credit. Reflection, see friends, you see where I'm going, forces me to trace grace back to the source of help. As the psalmist himself reflects back in verse 8, And he does this so that we'll continue to look to God for help, and that guards me from allegiance to these counterfeit, close but not quite saviors in my life. Money, security, friendships, personal righteousness, whatever it might be to protect me. So that's the reason for reflection. Let me give you an obstacle to reflection. An obstacle to reflection, our psalmist will mention, genuine reflection requires we recall pain that we'd rather forget. It requires we recall pain that we normally rather just forget. Imagine reading the psalm, if you will, with just verses 1 and 8. If it had not been for the Lord who is on our side, and finally our, our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth, I don't know about you, but if I, that was the psalm, it would sound kind of fake to me. It would just sound kind of empty and, and hollow and fake, like, like Christian programming. On radio or TV, sometimes you hear, right? Like, we're all happy, we're all great, right? God is good, God is awesome, he's our help, right? But thankfully, the psalmist, he gives us the real stuff of life. He gives us the guts of his pain, how they would have been swallowed up alive in verse 3. Now, in Hebrew, only death in Hebrew poetry is imagined as, as swallowing up its victims. That's where the psalmist felt he was at this point. Like he, was, like he was about to drown in a torrential flood, he says in verses 4 and 5. It, it was a, a totally helpless feeling, which is why in verse 6, he describes that they felt like they were prey. Being prey means being, being totally vulnerable and chased after with no defense, right? Drowning, helpless, brink of death are, are feelings that many of us have described as a result of of genuine trauma in our lives, real trauma that has happened to us. And trauma is no joke. No joke. I don't want to minimize that at all. And yet, when we kind of hide it away in the dark, when when we bury it down deep in the dark, it, it only leads, friends, right to further darkness in our lives, further pain. And that and that darkness often seems to spread even to those we love, because we bury it, and it comes out in in dark ways. The late Eugene Peterson, he had had this wonderful uh, meditation on Psalm 124, in which he provided this helpful little illustration that stuck with me. Uh, He shared how a friend of his was sharing with him some photographs that he took, Uh, a series of photographs that were exclusively of ordinary household items, the kinds of things you'd find in your living room and your kitchen. So, so one was like, for example, of a matchstick. Another was, was the, um, a knife's edge. Items not, not, we would not normally associate with beauty. And, but each photograph, when, when taken through a magnified lens, end up looking uh, quite exquisite in their detail because of the magnified lens. Well, 
One item in particular stood out to Peterson was a, was a highly magnified Brillo pad. You know those Brillo pads, right? They're one of the worst things possible to look at. But he said the, the swirl of, of fine wire actually is quite pleasing to the eye up close, right? The colors of, of blue fade in and out of the soap film when you see them magnified. Normally, something kind of ugly that we would hide away under the sink, out of view, is actually quite beautiful under closer scrutiny and through the right lens. You see where I'm going with this, friends? Pain, pain, something we wouldn't really want to hide away. Pain is transformed to beauty under the scrutiny of reflection and through the lens of God's redemptive help. When we put it under the scrutiny of reflection through the lens of God's redemptive help, that normally hide it away pain can actually become something exquisite and beautiful upon reflection. This past Tuesday, I was looking through a, an old journal of mine for something different, and I was just looking back. And I ran across uh, some, some reflections upon passages of Scripture that Katie and I, my wife Katie and I, had worked through with two dear friends of ours. Uh, the Lamberts had kids our age, some similar interests, personalities, senses of humor, all these things were clicking. And through our church, both of them have come to trust their lives to Jesus. And on top of that, they were committed to staying on the island of Cayman, where we were living at the time, for years to come. And that was really rare because Cayman was a very transitory place. People would come and go, but they were committed to staying there. So every other week, back in 2017, we were reading with them the Bible together. We were committed to, to, to reading through these key sections of the Bible, helping them learn how to read the Bible, how to grow in Jesus, this sort of thing. It was this beautiful time. And reading through this journal, it made me emotional. Just reflecting back on this and because I missed this friendship. It, it was painful to leave it behind. Leaving Cayman, coming back to the U.S., a year later brought further pain. Uh, unemployment, insecurity, um, multiple school lockdowns uh, from, from a shooting threat to, to our, our, our oldest in the school he was at. And then a pandemic. It was like we were trading pain for more pain. And so I'm reading through uh, the guts of this psalm, uh, wading through my own uh, just, just past pain. And I kid you not, as I'm reading through it, my friend, Ian Lambert, sends me this long text out of nowhere. Like he hadn't texted me for months. He sends it to me out of nowhere. Same day I'm reading through that journal, same day I'm reading this psalm, telling me how much he misses our friendship. It was incredible. It was this gift, but I, I just lose it with tears. And in that text also, he shared how well he's doing. He and Katie, his wife Katie, are doing in Jesus. So in that moment, I also start to read out loud the end of this psalm. Verse 7, we have escaped like a bird, and our help is in the name of the Lord. You know, we, we had found a youth pastor that last year when we were in Cayman and hired him. And our boys got to experience a little bit of that. We also, while we were there, we sent our boys to Christian summer camp. We were on vacation. We tried to involve them in, in youth group and young life when they got back to the U.S. 
And we would regularly, we regularly do family worship together. But what helped them connect to Jesus most has been serving in this church. Where I think they sense God's love through y'all. And through using their gifts to really impact people who've so warmly welcomed them. Katie and I would never have guessed our kids would truly meet Jesus in this particular way. Um, we tried all these other ways, these ways you typically, you know, youth group and young life and summer camp and all the, a way, yeah, a way we wouldn't have experienced in a larger church uh, with lots of young professionals and volunteers and that sort of thing. Please don't take that as an excuse. We need more volunteers. <laughs> <laughs> but upon reflection, uh, Upon reflection, through the lens of God's redemptive help, I can see the beauty of leaving paradise, a place like the Cayman Islands. The beauty of waiting, the beauty of struggle, the beauty of missing out what we thought was best for us for the beauty of something better. I want us to think about that. I think a word on reflection through pain should challenge us men specifically. Many of us use the phrase, men, uh, no pain, no gain, and apply it to pretty much every other area of our life except reflecting honestly on our past. I can't tell you how many times I hear a good dude, a good dude story who, who, will, who will say, well, I tried my best, or I wasn't always perfect, and then they go on to share about what's good, but they can't quite bring themselves to share, simply share the pain of their story. Hey, I really failed to point my kids to Jesus. I failed. Or the pain of it. Hey, no one taught me when I was a kid how to relate in a healthy way. And so I've really screwed up relating to others. Man, we men, more than anything, it feels like sometimes, want to minimize pain to simply move on as quickly as possible when telling our story or reflecting in our lives. Now, we can do that but you'll never get to see the heights of God's redemptive help without reflecting all the way through to past pain, to the pain of what got us there. And that's our message in a nutshell this morning. If you remember nothing else, remember this. That I want to encourage you to reflect through the depths of pain to display the heights of help. Reflect through the depths of pain to display the heights of of help. That's what our psalmist does so well here. He gets real about the pain so he can display the heights of help to him and to others. And that's why he gets to say what he does in verse 8. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. You can feel the heights he feels about God's help there because he reflected on all that pain. So let me give you a tool for reflection. You should have received when you came in this morning uh, a little handout this is the daily examine on it. Let me tell you where this comes from. A Christian man named Ignatius of Loyola first developed a version of this during a time of great personal pain to him. Uh, his leg had been shattered by a cannonball. This was obviously a long time ago. A cannonball in the Battle of Pamplona back in 1521. And even after multiple attempts, he never had successful surgery on that leg. He couldn't fix it. He was always in pain. Well, during this time, he decided he needed to become a more reflective person to, to see God's help, to see his gifts through the pain of what he was experiencing. 
So he created a version of this reflective tool. It was obviously an older language. It was more in-depth, whatever. It was a version of this reflective tool. And if you're curious, we reached out to the authors of this tool for permission, if you're curious about that sort of thing. Well, anyway, for a year or two after coming back from Cayman, my wife Katie and I would use this tool, this little sheet of paper, every night when we were in bed to reflect back on our day. And, and we, we kind of knew we needed to become more reflective people. So what we're going to do in a minute here, after I'm done with this message, we're going to set aside five minutes in church this morning to work through this tool ourselves and just have a little music and that sort of thing. I want to I recognize, though, I want to be real with you all, I'm not unrealistic. I recognize this tool may not be for everyone. You might use it today and never use it again. But my hope is that perhaps I was just working through it this morning, some of the principles you might remember later on that could help you through Maybe while you're doing otherwise mindless activities of your life, you might think through reflecting back on your day, reflecting back on experiences you have endured so you might become a more reflective person. In fact, I was reading like a really top-notch spiritual guru I respect a lot named Richard Foster said he would use this tool. He used this tool one year just shooting hoops in his driveway. He didn't, he didn't go through the sheet. He just shot, shot basketball in his driveway, and he would reflect back on his day. Why do we do all this? Again, to dis, see displayed the heights of God's ever-present, always-with-you help. The heights of that always-with-you help. Now, you'll notice before we end, I want to point out this. Our psalmist specifically at the end says, our help is in the name of the Lord. I often wonder, like, why, do, why, do, why does that happen? Why do people say the name of the Lord? It's just our helps in the Lord, our helps in the name of the Lord. Well, if you look back at verses 1 and 2, you'll see a name for God. If you look back at verse 1 and 2, you'll see a name for God. And it's not just Lord. Not right away, but if you were to look a little closer. Twice the psalmist says, the Lord who, who was on our side, Verses 1 and 2, who was on our side, which, by the way, is the past tense of Emmanuel. God was with us. God is with us. Who was on our side, which he repeats twice, is the past tense of the name Emmanuel, a term that would eventually be applied to Israel's Savior, Jesus Christ. God always on our side. Our help is in the name of the Lord. The Bible says that because of Emmanuel, because of Jesus, when we ask the question, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? We can answer with Paul, for I am sure that neither life nor death nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Emmanuel, Christ Jesus our Lord. I want us to notice in these verses all the points of pain along the way. Tribulation, distress, going hungry, no clothes, no danger, no sword, powers, rulers, even being at the point of death. All things Paul experienced, nothing can separate, nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. Nothing can separate you from God is with us. Emmanuel, to display the heights of Emmanuel's help we have to reflect all the way down through the depths of our pain. Let's pray. Father, 
I pray more than anything in reading this psalm that we might become a more reflective people. When we experience something good in our lives, when we, when we make it through something that was hard, when we barely escape from trouble, as the psalmist talks about here, too often we credit counterfeit saviors. Sometimes we credit ourselves. Sometimes we credit things immediately around us, a, a friendship, money, whatever it might be. Father, uh, not often enough do we take time to reflect and see the source of all those good gifts. You, Jesus, every good and perfect gift that comes from above. May we not be deceived. And may we instead become reflective people who see Emmanuel, God with us, even through our darkest pain. It's in Jesus' name, Emmanuel's name we pray. Amen.